Have you ever wondered what it is about reaching for our dreams that feels so hard and requires so much of our own healing? Are you curious about how moving towards your own creativity might heal what's making you feel stuck? Well, that is why we made this show. I'll be having conversations with emotional health experts as well as artists, musicians, and creatives, all with the intention of resourcing and inspiring you to uncover your true creative self. I'm Courtney Lancaster, and this is the Heal Create Podcast. India, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, uh, this is going to be this is going to be fun. I had mentioned to you earlier that I followed you for a really long time and love everything that you post and that you do. But I also, knowing this interview was coming up, I went on a deep dive this week and looked up so many of the things and the different projects that you've done. And as a vocalist, I'm just so uh, impressed and just want to like ask you so many questions about how you got to the place that you're at, not only in your life but also just vocally because it's absolutely incredible. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. So I want to start with your background and the early, early days of you just beginning to get into this. So you grew up in Brooklyn before you moved into, before you moved to LA. Is that right? Yep. Born and raised. I started studying at the Brooklyn Conservatory at around two years old. If I'm not mistaken, my mom put me in like mommy and me percussion classes Yeah. um, because she heard that there's a correlation between academics and music. So she just wanted me to be good at math, which I ended up being great at math. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. I was like a huge Funny. math nerd, placed out of math in college and was sad about it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, so I did That's that. Hilarious. And then I know. And then at four years old, I went on to, I think it was piano and flute, maybe. At some point, flute came into the picture and then uh, choir as well. At four? Yeah, I think it might have been at four. Wow. If not four, nine, I think, for flute because I was doing that in elementary school. Um, mm, okay. But but I did have an early start. New York City is just such an artsy city. It's easy. Yeah. Lots of community organizations as well. Um, and Brooklyn is such a community-based city. So uh, they're always just looking for... I don't know, people to help and work with. Tennis was another thing I was doing around all around the same time. Um, so I was just like really out there and engaged in community programs going on, um, mostly music. And so, yeah, that's how I started. And then I think I just, I grew to love it. Around mm-hmm. nine years old, I made more of a conscious decision that I, that I like where I'm at. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had started really, really young. That mm-hmm. is really, really young. Yeah. And you went to the f- the famous fame school. Mm-hmm. LaGuardia Arts. That's incredible. What was, I mean, I'm sure that the, it's audition only, I'm yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And, and it must be incredibly competitive to even get into. It is. Um, yeah. It is. And I, and I think it had been even more competitive way before I got there in the 90s. Early two yeah. thousands, um, I think it was a totally different scene. I saw yeah. the the tone change as my class graduated. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the vibe is like over there, um, but I, I suppose that's just evolution and how things change over time. But it yeah. it was nothing like the fame movie, but it was reminiscent of it. And and I think school there was like the fame movie at one point. 
which which could have been really exciting to experience. But regardless, yeah, I had an amazing time. I was doing everything known to man over there. Any yeah. musicals, any like performance classes, I was in them. Yeah. Just trying to live my life and get better. Yeah. My son is really into theater and comedy and he's very much like that. And I tell him some of the best days of my life, even still, I would say were my high school musical theater days. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about the community, especially at that age, Mm -hmm. but it was just one of the most powerful communities that I had ever, and probably still I've ever remember being a part of. So So what made you want to move to Los Angeles? Was it just UCLA that you wanted Mm -hmm. to study at or was it being in California and LA for art? It was wanting to be at a university um, with a big campus so I could just like see what that life is like because we don't have that in New York. Um, Columbia, I guess, is the biggest campus, but it's still like within the city. And um, perhaps I manifested it. I don't know. But UCLA came out of nowhere. I hadn't applied anywhere on the West Coast because I had never been here. And after doing this arts program called Young Arts, which I would recommend to any graduating high school senior, mm. um, a uh, formal former vocal coach who who worked who used to work with the organization reached out to me, who later became my voice coach at UCLA, and she invited me to audition. And I was like, sure. And I got here, and I was like, this is the campus I was looking for. And then I think quickly it made sense that opera was also the foundation I was looking for because yeah. in most vocal programs, it's weird, like throughout middle school and high school, the curriculum is classical based and mm-hmm. not that everything needs to go back to classical. I just saw the value for me. But once you get to college, depending on the program, you might not have classical foundation offered. So if you're doing a musical theater program, more often than not, you have to go elsewhere to find a classical uh, teacher or a pop program. You just have to hope that the opportunities are there. And um, well, that sounded a little complicated to me or complex rather. So when I was invited to audition to this opera program that had so many other opportunities on campus, being that it's it's a liberal arts school, that made the most sense to me. And I'm, I'm really glad I did that. Yeah. And while you were there, you auditioned for The Voice. Yeah, that was during my senior year. So mm-hmm. what was the schedule for that like? So when did you audition? Was it fall? Yeah, I think the auditions were during the fall. And it only worked out because UCLA runs on the quarter system not semesters. And it it actually worked out perfectly. I didn't need to miss too much school in the end. I missed a a bit of school, but I um, did not drop out. I just did my homework at the hotel. Wow. Because I knew if I dropped out, I wouldn't come back. And I was so close. So um, yeah, I think auditions were in the fall. That pretty much worked out. And then during our winter breaks, I'd be like filming. Uh, the first wow. few rounds are already pre-recorded, and uh, once it turned to live rounds, allowed to to take off from school, be there, and then when I came back in May, I had two weeks left till graduation to put together my whole senior recital. Wow! <laughs> which oh I did. Oh my gosh, you pulled it off! I pulled it off. Wouldn't recommend that to anybody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I did it. <laughs> Yes, just the crux of everything you've learned in the mm-hmm. four or five years that you've been there. Wow, really? that's incredible. Well, you went mm-hmm. to be the top five. 
on The Voice. And then mm-hmm. you went on to just do some incredible work with, mm-hmm. yeah, with when I was looking at the list, it was like every major pop star. Like, it's like a good chunk. I cannot believe. So Katy Perry, Dua Lipa, Mariah Carey, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, Billie Eilish, Megan Trainer. I, I think like there are so many amazing like memories and hard work that you've put into that and going along that journey. And I wonder like as you look back, I'm sure it's been listed to you in interviews or um, – as you think back over the last, you know, 10 years of everything that you've done, when you think back about your 20s being just pretty remarkable in the work that you've been able to do, does it feel like pride? Does it feel like lessons, good memories and bad? What does it feel to look back on your body of work so far? That's a good question. I think um, I think looking back with friends and then like interviews like this helps mm-hmm. me reflect on them. Because I'm incredibly hard on myself, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Mm. Um, perhaps it would be good for that to change, but mm. I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I don't diminish the value of the work I've put in over the years, but I'm always looking for what's coming next um, mm. because I never quite feel settled Mm -hmm. Um, so reflecting with friends, reminding me that that's a big accomplishment. I just, (laughs) even though it's like everyday life for me, um, you know, I guess that's just with anything in life, once you've been doing it for a while, just becomes more routine and you start to forget that there's so much value attached to it. Mm -hmm. Um, so having people like you say, remind me of these things, um, helps me remember how how cool it is and I didn't even see it as being part of the dream I came out here to be a solo artist which I'm still doing but I never saw myself like going on tour with Katy Perry like that and I'm so glad I did when I really just take an intentional moment to sit and reflect I'm incredibly Mm -hmm. proud of the work I've done and perhaps I should just make that more of of a routine to sit Mm -hmm. and reflect like that because I forget for sure yeah, as I think that we all do. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about why you're hard on yourself. To be honest, I have no idea. I think it, <laughs> I think I think a lot of it comes down to New York mentality. We're just very driven uh, people, and we're always going. There's always something else to do. Uh, I definitely get restless if I've been sitting for for too long, but. But it also uh, intersects to my personal life as well. Mm. I don't know why I'm so hard on myself. But I just think, like, if I'm going to do something, just be the best I can be at it. So I guess if we're talking about music, I'm hard on myself because I see the ways that I can improve and I'd like to. Especially if I'm going to sit here having opinions of, like, music I like and, like, uh, you should use this technique or da-da-da. I should be doing that work on myself, too. Um, and perhaps that's too harsh of a way to look at it, but it works for me. I like, I, I don't think less of myself pushing myself harder. Some people might, right. that might be too heavy for some people, but I, mm-hmm. I can handle that. I think I hear what you're saying. And I would agree. So I think so many artists, we actually really do need a very strong 
kind of like internal parent or, you know, that, that, that coach inside that's going to help us do the things that aren't flowy and artistic and creative, Mm -hmm. like to really drive us forward. Mm -hmm. And so few creatives actually have that. And that's why Mm -hmm. there are a lot of creatives that aren't putting a lot of things out into the world because they don't, they need, they need a part of themselves to drive them, to move them forward. Like a good parent would like, you know, as much as I love my kids to have fun and, do all the things they love to do. Somebody needs to tell them when to go to bed, when to mm-hmm. do their homework, when to do the things. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel with my my creative side as well. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great to dream about doing all the things you need to do, but we actually need to implement and move forward. Absolutely. And so, so there's like a fine line between the part of you that's like, you can do this and it's time and you need to, like, it was really beautiful that you've done all this, but like, there's more for you and we're moving to the more. Mm-hmm. And then that flipping into like, critical, judgmental, mm-hmm. even for some people, self-hatred. Mm-hmm. And there's like, sometimes you miss when you overstep the line. Mm-hmm. That strong disciplinarian part of me actually just turned into a really mean bully. Yeah. And that's not helpful either. Well, I love you posted something on Instagram, encouraged people to give themselves permission to be good. Mm-hmm. And I just saw when you got up a minute ago that it's like on your yeah. wall behind you, right? Yeah. Give yeah. yourself permission to be good. And I'm curious about why do you think people don't give themselves permission to be good? Well, let me start this off with a disclaimer because sometimes when I share this, uh, people have the wrong impression of the quote. Um, mm. Perhaps reading deeper into the word good, what does it mean to be good? Uh, is Is that like subconscious like control that we should all be the same definition of good um Mm. give yourself permission to be good to me and the way that I was taught it is just don't stand in your own way don't sabotage yourself if you're talking about you're a musician go be a great musician I have had countless moments in my life where I will step down because I want to keep the peace and give Mm. yourself permission to be good just says no take the gig Take the gig. Mm-hmm. There's room for everybody and you'll all figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, especially creatives, identify as people pleasers. And um, that's a huge reason why people want to step down and, and be as invisible as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also stems from a lack of self-confidence. At least that's how I experienced it. I was confusing confidence with being cocky and I didn't mm. want to be cocky. And so I was like, well, if I if I love how I sound today, I must be full of myself. So yeah. over some time of reworking that thought pattern, I understood that confidence is totally different. And confidence yeah. is what is what is going to allow you to step on stage and and do your best because you doing your best on stage has nothing to do with anybody else, literally. Yeah. Unless somebody else makes it about themselves, but that's still not your problem. Yes. Um, So sometimes for for a time and even now, sometimes I have to move with blinders on. um, So long as I know I am doing the best that I can, I'm not hurting anybody. That's the, the bare. That's like the the overall of what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, so yeah, there are a number of reasons why we, why we step in our own way. Oh yeah. Fear, (laughs) just fear of like, oh, what if it actually happens? I don't think I've ever been afraid, but 
I have been standing in my own way for a long time, I just realized. So here we are. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Well, it's that Marianne Williams quote, right? Like, we're not actually afraid of our weaknesses. We're afraid of our own greatness. That's crazy. It's crazy. And cockiness, I think, it is confused with that idea Mm -hmm. of confidence, but cockiness comes from scarcity. Like I got to be better Mm -hmm. than everyone else because there's only so much to go around. Right. Um, And confidence comes from abundance. Like there Mm -hmm. is enough room for all of us to be, to Mm -hmm. be great. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one of the things that I work with a lot with people is all of the stories that they create that really keep themselves from moving into their greatness, because it Mm -hmm. means a lot to be in your greatness. It really means you're going to be seen by a lot of people, which is incredibly scary if you have any kind of, you know, pain or trauma associated with that, which so many of us do. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering about this idea of not wanting to step towards our greatness for you. How have you worked through those um, seasons of resistance in your own life as you've moved towards your dreams and creating the things that you're here to create? I think it's a mixture of, I might've mentioned it before, talking to your friends, getting Mm. their perspective, outside perspective from someone who knows you well, Mm -hmm. um, and learning who I am which is an ongoing process. But the more I know who I am, what my intentions are, what brings me joy, and what I feel I'm here to do, it's easier to tap into that. Yeah. Um, my mom would talk about, like, I know who I am a lot, and I never really understood it. It, it sounded kind of like, like she might be alienating herself from as much of the world as she could. It just sounded like a very just individual mindset thing. And over time, as I've been tested and like I have not set boundaries, um, I'm unhappy and I don't know why or my energy is drained and I don't know why. It's because I don't really know who I am in this moment. I don't know why I'm here. I'm not acting as intentionally as I thought I would. I'm acting in other people's interests. Um, and that's not really sustainable. So I think, um, yeah, I've worked through it through trying to just tap in more to like, you have like, you have a gut, like intuition is a real thing. Um, and your body will tell you, your body will lead you towards where you need to go. And it'll tell you when you need to leave a situation and it's just up to you to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think tapping more into my my soul and my core has helped me um, change my mindset on that. Also talking to friends. I had a conversation with one of my oldest friends the other day. And I think we might have been talking pr- about purpose or something. I was expressing that I had some doubt recently. And he was like, listen, whenever you're feeling those those feelings, remember that you make people feel things. Mm. Um, and, and that's the biggest takeaways, takeaway from your content and your shows and just like whatever you give to people, you make them feel something. And that reminded me that that's, that's actually why I do this. Yes. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So that, that, those two things help me help Mm -hmm. balance me and step into greatness. If I'm not giving if I'm not affecting people positively, which is my purpose, then what am I singing for? 
what what am I just like blindly giving this uh, this song to? So yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can relate to that as well. I I think I write that down every day. Every day I write down like who I am, like in a few mm-hmm. se- different senses, and that's one of the one of the phrases that I write down is I make music that moves people. Yeah. And I think for creatives, one of the reasons why I feel so passionately about supporting creatives is because when you are moved by art, you're actually um, experiencing a moment of connection and safety. And when you're in connection, safety, and inspiration, that's when you are getting a glimpse of your true self. Yeah. So when artists are sharing their art and we are, and you know, you are moving people and you do make people feel things with your music, India, it's actually giving them a glimpse of who they really are, Mm. which is why I think we need artists now more than ever healthy artists. Mm -hmm. So I have been really interested to see what's happened to a lot of creative communities since 2020. Mm-hmm. when so many of the performers had to stop performing. <laughs> yeah. So many of the people that were, you know, moving with a lot of momentum, big, big artists that mm-hmm. were moving with a lot of momentum that had to just stop. And I think there were, there was a lot of purpose to that. I think we'll probably look back and all see like so much growth and purpose. And, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was difficult, I think, because a lot of artists, a lot of people in general had to kind of see what was underneath all the running that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of like um, emotional healing, I think they were invited to in that season. I think that as I've seen a lot of creatives and performers come back into their, their craft and their performance, it seems like there's been some interesting, um, resistance like there was a major I think it was Sean Mendes that canceled his entire mm-hmm. world tour for mental yeah. health there's so many um, things that have happened like that I just moved to Orange County mm-hmm. and we as soon as we moved here knowing we were close to LA we bought tickets like for the year ahead of like all these different concerts and I would say probably a quarter of them have been canceled wow yeah, uh, for for different like mental health, personal, physical health reasons. And I just mm-hmm. think, gosh, that's so interesting. We're noticing we can't carry on the same way that we did, overriding our nervous systems, overriding our emotional health in order to keep creating. We have to come mm-hmm. up with sustainable ways to create so mm-hmm. that we can inspire people to catch glimpses of their authentic self. So Absolutely. all that being said, I'm curious how 2020 affected you as a performer and a creator. Actually, 2020 was really positive for me, um, mm. looking back overall. Um, I think the first part of 2020 only kept me quiet because of all the racial protests mm-hmm. going on. That's actually what hit me more than the fact that all my gigs were canceled. Yeah. Um, I was actually coming back from from an ongoing tour, so I could have used some some relaxation time. Yeah. That was probably the least relaxed time in our lives, but just a moment where the world forced you to stop, I think was welcome for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, everything with Black Lives Matter really, really got to me. Um, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I was definitely down very often. Sometimes led to tears after watching these headlines. It's just like, you guys think this is a joke? So that led Mm. me to write 
Human, which was the first Mm -hmm. single I think that I've ever put out. I have some music online, but but they haven't really like stemmed from me. Uh, Human was the first time I I really like put my my time and energy into a single and finally put it out. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I so I think lockdown actually allowed me to open the gates to finally stop being a perfectionist and just put the music yeah. out. Yes. And um, in addition to that, because all my gigs were canceled and people were doing a lot of stuff from home, I took to engineering and learned how to record myself and have my own setup at home. And then that started all the acapella videos that I've been doing. Yeah. I had been doing them before, um, but but upping the audio and video quality started during lockdown. Yeah. Um, and so since then, I've I've gotten so much better at recording myself, engineering myself uh, from home, and it's led me to so many other opportunities. Yeah. So I'm really sad we got hit with COVID. There's nothing about this that is good for us, but right. I think a lot of creative people have, have been forced to add some more skills to their resume, look mm-hmm. inward, and and come out with something great. Yeah. Yes, I would agree that the flip side of that is that a lot of artists have come up with work that they never would have created otherwise. They never would have seen the parts of themselves necessary to create. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like for you, Human is such a incredibly written and ex- expressed mm-hmm. song. And the vulnerability combined with the power behind it is is really something incredible idea. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, that just came out. It was after George Floyd, I think, maybe. And then I just took to the piano and it just it really just flew out. Maybe at most I I uh took another day to write the second verse, but the whole the whole song just poured out, which I think yeah. says a lot to the meaning or how much it meant to me, I guess. No, it's absolutely stunning. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you. And Yeah. Yeah, of course. I think for me um, as well, like I told you earlier, wanting to even create this podcast came, this podcast series came from my own season of healing from anxiety and PTSD and like putting aside all my art and my music and my creativity. Like, I don't know, until I was healed or perfect or whatever Mm -hmm. and not realizing that like, oh, I'm actually like, I'm going to heal through creation and through creativity and it's not putting it on pause. And it sounds like you writing that song and kind of even like with the acapella videos, which I want to talk to you about as well, was part of your own like healing and navigating that season as well. Oh, surely. Yeah. I was pretty on pause for a while and I was like, I got to do something. I can't be (laughs) this sad looking at the news every day. So human started and then I just yeah started getting back in the studio yeah those videos I feel like the number of times that I've sent one to a friend with just like 15 cry faces like (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah this um episode will actually come out after you put on a workshop teaching nice how to do this right cool nice yeah yeah I'm doing that next Saturday Yeah. So you're going to teach people how to like, you basically, for those of you that haven't seen it, you need to go look up India Carney on Instagram. She has these videos where you're like, it's like your beautiful face, beautifully lit. And then like tinier videos (laughs) of you harmonizing to what you're singing or Mm -hmm. like adding background. That's a lot. 
<laughs> it's so amazing, though. Thank you. How did you even learn to do that? Was it trial and error? Like, I guess like things started shifting into full gear in college when I started, when I joined an acapella group. Um, prior mm. to that, I was doing this comp- uh, composition class in high school and uh, we would be, yeah, we would be writing original music all the time, performing it often. And then like the people in the class, we'd kind of like recycle uh, roles and like sing backgrounds on other people's songs, play piano on other people's songs, whatever, whatever, just shift okay. roles. Um, and so at least in high school, I was already starting to arrange background vocals. I don't remember the level that they were at, but that might have been my well, then before that was also gospel choir and stuff. So mm. so the idea of ensemble singing is something I've done for a long time. Being really analytical about it uh, came in college when I was part of my acapella group and was writing like arrangements for 15 people, all charted out on manuscript paper, like the full deal. Um, and then the more I did that, the more I learned how to edit and just like be more refined And, um, well, I didn't always enjoy arranging such large scale compositions, but it was obviously very helpful to have that skill. When I started doing my acapella videos, I scaled it down just a little bit, just so it's a little more palatable, um, maybe a little more appropriate for this, for the content. If Mm. I'm like putting out content, that's just like massive Jacob Collier, size that might not be as authentic yeah. for me we love mm, jacob collier of course He's amazing but oh i think gosh. for me like a nice i don't simple. know how to explain it yeah it's like not simple at all but it sounds simple and that's that's what i'm going for it's not simple at all as a matter of fact i feel like i have described you as literally perfect like technically perfect mm. and it's smooth it's just Thanks. so easy to listen to, but I know the amount of effort that you've put behind not only cultivating your vocal talent, but also these videos is mm-hmm. so massive. So anyways, I just want to tell everybody, please appreciate this because it's absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. Thank I'm actually so really curious about that on a technical scale. Sure. Like I told you, I'd love to just like talk vocal technique for forever, but yeah. what has been the hardest thing for you to overcome technically in the cultivation of your vocal talent okay so I guess it is finding my voice what is my voice and I think the other thing I wouldn't describe it as hard to overcome but I would say that it was eye-opening to arrive on the other side of thinking that everything dates back to technique um I think that singing is just the art of sounding pleasing to one's ear and however mm. and there are millions of ways to do that because mm-hmm. there are millions of, of voices out there so what do you want to sound like um let's hope that is at least adjacent or like in line with what most people like to listen to even though mm-hmm. there are a bunch of outliers um and how do we want to achieve that sound I think that's like the core of what singing is so for a long time, because I got my degree in opera, I was like, this is the way that you're supposed to sing. And yeah. over time, I'm like, no, it's not. There's a lot that I learned from it. I haven't mm-hmm. hurt myself while singing. 
Um, I, I'm great with hygiene, it seems so far, at least. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I've learned yes. a lot of like agility and and placement things from from opera. But needing to sing with that level of uh, I don't know what the word is. I don't know if the word is health or if it's just that specific technique um, is is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. it's not what I'm trying mm-hmm. to go for. If I was trying mm-hmm. to be an opera singer, yeah, I would need to be consistent with that. But no, and I thought that was I thought that was like the Bible for a long time. Yeah. Now I understand. Singing is fun. Singing came from just emulating sounds that you hear. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's very subjective because I feel like it's it's very organic. It's just like mm-hmm. what feels good. That's what you do. And then mm-hmm. when you get stuck, we can maybe take to some techniques and see if that helps. Yes. I think that was a huge learning experience for me. And then mm-hmm. finding my sound, now that was the difficult part because I was so buried in different styles of music. Um, the main one being opera. So it was very dark covered, heavy vibrato, mm-hmm. like blended. Especially as an alto. Especially as an alto like really dark very yeah which isn't i don't think that's what they want when i'm singing <laughs> Katy perry you know like that's not it um and then i was also doing musical theater r&b jazz a lot of contemporary styles so i thought at the time when i first thought i found my sound i was taking I was kind of like ma- mismatching styles. Mm. So I'd sing Amy Winehouse and it would sound super dark and operatic. I'd be singing Rihanna with this like intense vibrato and I'm like, I'm doing it. And then yeah. I listen back and I'm like, I'm not doing it. It was fine, but like that's not <laughs> refined at all. Now <laughs> I understand it's like it really, it, it, you, it goes back to knowing yourself. Everything has to come from a place of authenticity and then underneath that, I can see, okay, I've tapped into storytelling. That's what I've taken from mm. musical theater. I've tapped into agility and like placement and, and understanding where I am all the time. Um, that's what I took from opera mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, and, and I'm sure you could still hear the, uh, the, the influences just by listening, but Certainly not as obvious as it used to be like eight years ago. And I'm really happy about that. (laughs) You also have this very um, unique vibrato Mm -hmm. that like is very, very you. I heard you mention one time on some interview that did they on the voice, did they like try and nitpick that or something or were they pointing it out? No, they nitpicked the perfectionism, but. Uh, mm. And that wasn't the question you asked, but since I mentioned it, I just wanted no, to say, yeah. Tell like, me. a lot of us, it's, it's. I don't think it's a thing to, to frown upon if you, if you identify. I think you just want better for yourself. Over t- over time, though, I have learned. Okay, if if that part of my brain isn't going to stop, I just need to channel it to somewhere productive instead of beating myself up. Um, and so that's how I've allowed myself to just grow and get better. No, it's not going to help if I sit there and I'm like, you suck. But if I'm like, you know, the vibrato was just too wide. Let's just do another pass, mm. thin it out a little bit, and then I'll be happy mm-hmm. and I get to move on. Um, gotcha. So just like don't don't try and like block off those feelings. Just channel them towards somewhere else. Um, 
vibrato. No, I don't think they nitpicked it, but the the commenters did. I got a lot mm. of comments and and some hate online for that. Really? Uh, oh yeah, like somebody was like, "Sounds like my washing machine," and I'm like, "Okay." What Does it? the heck? No. <laughs> oh my goodness. I will say though, it took time, but over time, I was able to listen back to myself and be like, you know what? That is very derivative of opera. Maybe it mm. isn't a- appropriate to do such an, a heavy vibrato all the time. I think I can dial yeah. it back, not because you want me to, but because I actually hear it's it's maybe stylistically inappropriate. But mm. having to, yeah, get over the hurdle of reading all that stuff took a while. Oh, I cannot even imagine. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I mean, well, that's why celebrities will say, like, I don't even read it. I don't yeah. even go online. Mm-hmm. I don't even look at it. Because mm-hmm. that stuff will just get so sticky in your brain and make you second guess everything that you're doing, which you have no reason to do, Thanks. as far as I can hear. Thank you. Um, okay. You also have just a couple of more questions. You have a yeah. show coming up. Yeah. Yes, at Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles. And yes. I'm curious about your process for preparing for a show. This is a show, mm. is a solo show. Is that right? Solo show. Solo show? Such a big deal. Oh. And I'm curious, how do you prepare technically? And then how do you prepare if you need to emotionally? Technically, um, I'm a very visual person. So I'll have to write out the set list, um, the budget, how many people, make sure everything there lines up. Um, and then more and more, I, I understand the value of rehearsal and practice. Yeah. I think we just get used to coasting for so long mm-hmm. um, and then leave a show underwhelmed. I had a moment where I was like crying after this session and I called my a mentor of mine and he was like, okay, well, did you practice? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, then why are you <laughs> crying? <laughs> you got to practice. Yes. Um, so, uh, so I would say at least two rehearsals. It all comes down to budget, which makes it hard. But if you could get two rehearsals, ideally like three or four would make you whatever you need to feel fully confident. Um, and for a full band setup, I would say you need a rehearsal with the band or two and then one with the singers or two and then one all together or two. So, yeah, it's however much you can afford. Um, and and vocally, I think my biggest focus is on pacing myself through the set. So um, it's hard when you're also music directing your, your stuff because your focus is split which is why you want to have as many rehearsals as possible so you can get to the point of just doing you. Um, and then when you're able to do you, the set list will start to make sense, move things around for stamina's sake. Uh, Cause I know we've had our fair share of shows where the last two songs are just crack central. That's not fun. So maybe like put those at the top or change the key. Like so many things you can discover while rehearsing. So I would say technically um, the idea is to to be as uh, aware of the full scope of the show as possible. And you'll probably only achieve that by rehearsing as, as much as you can. And then I think emotionally, 
Well, I th- the emotional prep, I think, lines up with the warm-up day of. So I need to be, I would say, like a day or two before I need to start winding down. Hopefully my schedule isn't going, going, going. If I can just have a day of relaxation to watch Netflix, that's great. And then mm. the day of, I'll probably do a good steam for like 20, maybe 30 minutes um, mm. above a pot of boiling water, start to warm up in that, stretch, maybe meditate, uh, finish my warm up, which usually is anywhere between 30 and 40 minutes um, to the point where I just, yeah, I feel ready. Maybe go on a hike. Exercise, actually, on a perfect day, I would be exercising um, mm. as well. Um, and all together, I, I think that prep would take around two hours if I'm t- taking my time. Then I'd give myself some downtime, uh, make sure I have help that day, an assistant of sorts or something. Um, I'm also really good at just like <laughs> multitasking and handling chaos. So <laughs> it would take a lot for me to get riled up anyway. Yeah. That helps helps set me up for something good. Um, but I know how the day's gonna go by the end of that warm-up. Yeah. And if the warm-up isn't good, it's probably because I didn't sleep enough or didn't hydrate enough or was eating the wrong thing. So I that week of I have to take all of that into consideration. Yeah. So the warm-up's good. Yeah. And if the warm-up's good, I'm so happy about life. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm wondering if you have to do any like post performance, like tending to your heart or your, uh, your selfhood after, after such a big show like that. That's a good question. I would say there's usually some decompression the day, day after if it's a show I don't love. Yeah. I'm going to need to take a second in the dressing room (laughs) to not tell everybody or, or, or make them take back their compliments. I do that all the time. <laughs> you were so great. Yeah. Ah, thanks. You should come to the next show. Like uh, I, I, I had to yeah. tell myself, India, please stop. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll have to take a second by myself before going back out and just forcing myself to say thank you. Yeah. Um, and then, but yeah, if it's a great show, I'm ready to just go out and, and talk to people. I'll usually talk for a long time. I've realized uh, I will make myself endlessly available. And um, mm. and that's probably why the next day I'd, it would be great if I could just sit down. Definitely no singing the next day. Ideally mm. no singing. Actually, after mm-hmm. this show, I will have to fly and sing the next day. But usually I'll try and just have it be as relaxed as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. And thank you so much for everything that you've shared and how you're using your platform, not only to share your music, but also there's a lot of encouragement on there. You have your, you kind of did like a series of like how music, what is it? When music. Oh yeah. Music and life intersect. Music and life intersect. Yeah. Yeah, So many good like encouragements and life lessons. I would encourage anyone to follow her Um, for all of those reasons. Uh, How can people find you? find me on instagram at india underscore carney c-a-r-n-e-y okay. um that's where i mostly am i'm also on twitter on india carney india dash carney on youtube um but instagram is is usually where i tell people to go perfect okay and then last question that we ask all of our guests 
What is something that you are either healing in your life or creating in this season? I'm creating new music. I'm also putting out a single. That's the reason for this performance in November. So I don't have a release Mm -hmm. date yet, but it's sometime late October, early November. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So that's what I'm creating. And then I'm also creating a larger EP to put out in the new year. Um, So yeah, I'm creating that. And I'm healing the part of me that insists that I don't have as much agency in my life as I should. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How? What does that look like as you're healing that? It looks like um, it gets. It means getting comfortable saying no, setting boundaries, maybe losing people, um, but also tapping into the feeling of peace when those things happen. And that reminds me, okay, I'm doing something right. Um, it hurts, but it's right. Um, yeah. And, and further getting closer to knowing myself and who I am, I think starts to heal that. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much again. I loved talking to you. I really appreciate everything that you have to share. Thank you. you.